Uh, hey everybody, welcome back to the Stuck in the Middle podcast. My name is Zach and today I am here with Mark Raymond. Mark, how are you today? I'm good, thank you Zach. Uh, happy to be here chatting with you. Yes, thank you. Uh, we'll start it off quite easy. Can you please tell us who you are, maybe what you do and a little bit about your family history? Sure, no, I'd be happy to. Well, I'm, I'm an architect and um, I... Um, the director of the Graduate School of Architecture at the University of Johannesburg. Mm. Uh, I moved to Johannesburg three years ago to take up the position, um, but I've spent most of my life in Trinidad in the Caribbean. My father is from Trinidad mm. and my mother is English, but I've spent most of my life practicing as an architect in the Caribbean. And um, both my parents came from working class backgrounds. Mm. My father's black and from Trinidad. And my mother, who's still alive, is white and English. Mm. And they were both the first in their families to go to university. And they, and they got married in the UK when my father was studying there in the 50s. Oh, okay. When interracial marriage wasn't illegal, as it was in many parts of the yeah. US and in South Africa, but it was a kind of taboo. Right. And, yeah. um, I've, I've had an upbringing growing up between a kind of middle-class white existence in the UK, which is where I was educated. Mm. And in my extended black family in port of spain trinidad mm. and, and i'm light-skinned and i as they say in sort of colors and parlance i present as white i might appear yeah. as white, but i don't identify as a white person mm. um and my experience of racism um or color prejudice has been quite complicated because i'm aware of it right um, but i've never really acutely experienced it okay but it means that you know, I'm sensitive to issues of racism and colorism, um, and I'm really interested in conversations like this where we address issues of identity mm. and issues of people who have multiple ethnicities. Yeah, I mean, I'm very grateful that you're willing to do this. Um, you spoke about briefly there for a second about experiences. Do you think there are? Um, I know you said you haven't really had like a one that strikes you, or you haven't really met it. But are there any unique ones, maybe? about growing up generally as a mixed race child, school, yeah, even now as, no, at sure. work? You know, and, and when I say that, I, I, I said that, I think what I said in the introduction, I've not had experience of kind of overt racism. Uh, right, yeah. Yeah, but I've had experiences that relate to my own ethnicity and mm. my own identity. And, um, you know, I think childhood is an important time. You know, it's a period of learning and understanding and processing. And I think as a child, you're acutely perceptive and you're vulnerable and you're impressionable and mm. my first years i was born in the uk my early ah, years okay. were in trinidad and trinidad has it's a multi-racial society it's predominantly afro-caribbean people mm. but there mm. are also indo-caribbean people there are chinese people syrian people there are people from many ethnic ethnic backgrounds um and whilst Many, many people in Trinidad will identify as black or Indian or white or Chinese. Many people are mixed. Mm. So my early memories there, I never felt different because there were so many people around me right, who yeah. in different ways were like me. So I never felt different. So I never felt treated in a way that made me feel unwelcome or that I didn't belong. It's not to say that Trinidad is not without its racialized divisions. Yeah, of problems, course. Yeah. Because it's, it's quite bad there. But as an experience, I didn't really feel different. In, mm. you know, or at least I didn't feel differentiated. I didn't feel people were treating me as something other 
even mm. though I was aware of difference. But when I when I then went to England, I felt acutely aware that I was different. Um, uh -huh. I felt acutely aware that most of the people around me, if not all the people immediately around me, were white. I mm. knew my father wasn't white. Um, and then, so then I thought, well, if my father's not white, then I can't be white. Not that I was aspiring to be white, yeah. <laughs> but it caused a sort of a kind of complexity in my mind of not knowing quite where to place myself. Mm. Um, and then it, because I'm not dark skinned, I'm light skinned, I wasn't identifiable to the people around me as black. Mm. So I had the sense that I couldn't really be placed, you know, that I was, I was understood. And, and then the other thing, where I grew up, even though it was predominantly white in England, there were people there, there were immigrants from India and Pakistan and a few from the Caribbean. Mm. And I definitely, at that age, became conscious of what I would say as a sort of comfortable racism amongst the uh. white people around me in terms of their views and the behavior towards the Indians and Pakistani immigrants. Right, yeah. And that I think those people... Uh, the Pakistanis and Indians and the Caribbean people, there was definitely a sense with the white people and I was embedded with the white people in that context. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was this sense that they weren't from there, they didn't belong there, there was definitely a sense that they were menial, they were inferior, they were unacceptable, they weren't really understood and they were sort of treated in a quiet way, contemptuously. Mm. Um, I wasn't really part of that um, or because you know I didn't I that most of the people the immigrants were working people they worked in a factory or they worked in shops or they worked in sort of service environments my mother was a, at the university she's a feminist and a socialist oh. and all her friends were sort of thinking the chattering classes you know yeah so whilst I didn't identify with the immigrants in a, in a sort of social or economic way I definitely identified them in another way but I but I didn't know how you know right I, I, I wasn't quite sure what my relationship to those people was but I knew that I was related to them mm. in the same way that I was related to the white people and that there was a kind of tension that existed between them mm. and then the other experience my, my father was in Trinidad my parents separated but my father would, would on his, because of his work would come to England regularly mm. and would visit us uh, and I was really proud of him, you know, I was mm. proud of his identity and, mm. and even in this sort of very white, white town, I used to love it when he came because it sort of in a way reinforced in me yeah, yeah. what I what I recognised as my otherness. Mm. And then as soon as my sister and I were old enough, we would then go back to Trinidad regularly and I identified strongly with my father, my black father, my uncles, aunts, cousins, they're all black and I was immersed in Afro-Caribbean Afro culture. Mm. Um, and so that... I think created a complexity for me because whilst again in my presentation you know I sound very English you know mm. I have I'm acculturated in a British way you know I've got a liberal progressive cultural orientation but a significant part of me is my exposure to this Afro-Caribbean side of me mm. you know, which is which again I felt differentiated me and I think the other important experience I had is that my father um, had a sister um, who was pan-Africanist, act, a black activist in Trinidad. Mm. And she, was, she would visit us in England sometimes. And she really made it a sort of mission to assert my blackness in me, you know, to remind mm. me and to not really remind me, but to make clear to me that, you know, my father was black, my family was black. And she introduced me to literature, to photography, oh, nice. you know, to cultural forms from, from black culture. So even though I, I was in a white world, she, she definitely asserted the kind of a, a culture of blackness around yeah. me and not as something negative. 
it, which is sort of how it was postulated in the world in which I lived in, but something strong and good and powerful. Yeah. So those, I think, are some experiences that I had that were formative or valuable for me. Yeah. Well, they, they, they certainly sound very valuable. And I think there's a lot to unpack there. I do have a few questions from those experiences. Um, you know, you said you, your father um, visited England regularly. And when he arrived, yeah. you always felt closer or you felt reassured in a sense. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, for me, my father passed away and it became a struggle um, at school to kind of prove to people that I was mixed race um, because of my yeah. name and my skin color. Did you ever have that problem growing up in England, educated in England? Yes, I think, well, I wouldn't say, you know, I, 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 yeah, there's, there's an, when I was at school, and again, this is in, you know, the middle of England, mm. Leamington Spa, Warwick, in the middle of England, everybody, everybody was white. Mm. Um, and I think, I think I confused the boys in my school. I think, I think they, they <laughs> saw that I was not white like them. Mm. But they didn't know what I was. Yeah. <laughs> because I didn't look like a black person. Because yeah. my skin was not black. And I remember one day, um, I was waiting for the bus to go. I think I was probably like 12 or 13. And one of the white boys came up to me and he quite plainly said, Are you your wog? Oh. Now, a, a wog is a derogatory term in the UK for somebody of African descent. Yeah. It comes from gollywog dolls. You know, mm. But it's, a, it's, an un, it's an unpleasant Course, uh, derogatory yeah. term um and i first of all i didn't know how to answer him yeah i, thought, I thought it was an offensive question yeah um and i sort of felt embarrassed about it you mm. know and hurt um because it, it was it was offensive but it also somehow objectified me as different yeah you know, yeah to ask me that question i thought i thought it was a kind of i thought it was imperti impertinent you know mm. But it, it's um, you know so it's com it's complex in terms of um, experience um, because I think for example lots lots of white people move through the world and perhaps inevitably kind of to ideas about race because there because whiteness is, is so predominantly centered everywhere mm. so they are most white people and even progressive white people even mm. well-intentioned white people are often really blind. To the differentiation about race, so they don't see, they don't sort of see racism. They say they don't yeah. see color. Of course, they see the color, <laughs> but they kind of often don't. They're not. They're not aware of yeah. the racism. You know? mm. And um, I think that it's sort of complex for people who are not white um, mm. to kind of comprehend that lack of comprehension. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But, then, but then, peculiarly, because of because of my color. Um, I never, as I said earlier, I never experienced of overt racism. Mm. You know, I have many friends um, who have, who can talk directly to very brutal, sometimes violent, prejudicial, psychologically damaging, racialized experiences mm. that they continually endure because of their color. Mm. You know? And I, I've not had that experience. Um, yeah. And some people would might describe that as a definitive black experience. But yeah, I've not exactly. had that, you know. I've not experienced that. You know, I'm not bragging about that, or I'm not ashamed of it. But I'm just—it's just not part of it's my fact, yeah. experience. And I think um, also the, all the experiences are not negative. Yeah. You know, that I, I made some lovely friends at school, and I think many of my friends were really interested in my identity yeah it's in, not all bad my connection to Trinidad they liked it you know mm. at that time 
Bob Marley was big, and there was a lot of <laughs> lot of yeah. there was a lot of music that was all about anti-racism, and yeah, that was the music we all, we all listened to. And because of my association with the Caribbean, you know, it gave me a kind of kudos. You know, I, yeah. I didn't really have any closer connection to that music than they did, but because it was Caribbean, yeah. I somehow had a kind of uh, cachet, you know, yeah. <laughs> around it. Yeah. Um, so you know, it wasn't always bad. The 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 identity it wasn't always complex or complicated, mm. and uh, I, I never felt um, oppressed by it. Yeah. Um, and looking back at it, um, you know, it could easily have inhibited me quite seriously socially, and you know, it, it didn't, but it could easily have done. Um, but I do think that um, at that time when I was growing up, identifying myself. Uh, you know, particularly, you know, through my teens and later teens, I became much more aware of, in a sense, needing to identify. Yeah. I yeah. felt that I felt like I had to sort of somehow identify. Mm. I, because I wasn't white, then I began to say, "Well, I'm black, but I'm not white. I must be black." Yeah. Um, however complex that would be for anybody, that was the, that's how I determined I would um, identify myself. And I didn't like the term coloured or mixed yeah. or half-caste. My know, father neither. Seem, I, don't, I don't like those terms. Yeah. Um, and somehow they seem to kind of, they seem to sort of dilute who, who I am. You know? And I, I, don't, I don't like those terms. Mm. But then peculiarly, if you sort of throw those terms away, it seems like you're avoiding it, you know? Yeah. I just came to, I've come to realise that racial terms and, and labels and classifiers, they're really loaded, you know? Mm. Black can be political. Yeah. It can also be concerned with colour, and also how it's political and how it's concerned with colour operates completely differently in different cultures. Mm. You know, I've heard many terms that reference my identity, but I don't really recognise any of them as as describing me. Mm. Um, some something you mentioned uh, was the comparison between the racial awareness in Trinidad and the racial awareness in England. Uh, which I thought yeah. was really interesting. But now, now you live in South Africa, am I correct? Do you work here? Yes. yes. Um, how would you compare it now? Obviously, you're of a different age now to what you were when you were in those yeah. countries. But from your view, yeah. how would you compare them? <laughs> I think, I think I, I, I've thought about this a lot. You know, I, think, I think it's complicated everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like there's no sort of single defining kind of truth about ethnicity or racial identity it has different nuanced um experiences everywhere you know and and it's hard to kind of in a sense describe a specific difference mm. uh, i real i realize that depending on where i go i'm seen differently you know yeah so in america the, the history of slavery they had what was called the one drop rule Mm. Um, which meant that once you had one drop of black blood in, then you were black. You know, you ah, were, I didn't know that, that. that's how you were defined. It's an interesting. There's a lovely book by Yaba Blay mm. um, called "The One Drop Book." I'll, I'll lend it to you. Zach. Oh, uh, please, it's a really yeah. Interesting book. Thank you. And she, she te she's taken a whole sequence of photographs of people who are mixed race of, of, of multiple ethnicities, mm. um, but but all defined by the definition that they're black by this one drop rule. Yeah. But curiously. I have found in the United States, um, once I kind of clearly acknowledge my blackness, I feel completely accepted by the majority of African Americans as one mm. of them. Mm. Um, but that's very different here, and it's very different in Trinidad. You know, yeah. there's a lovely book also that describes how the one-drop rule in North America um, 
said that if you have one drop of black blood, it made you black. Whereas in Latin America, the idea that you have one drop of white blood in you makes you white. Yeah. You know, it's, it's peculiar <laughs> differences that exist everywhere. So I'm conscious that wherever I go, uh, I'm seen in different ways. You know. Yeah. I think I again, I, I overtly, I think I, I present, as they say, as a light-skinned yeah. person. So to many, I might look like I'm from I don't know, Egypt. Mm. Not from there. Mm. I don't identify as Egyptian, but yeah. I might be seen as that. So yeah. it's um, it's complicated, you know. I don't think there's there's a way I would define the experience in one place or another. It's just differentiated, and I think as somebody with multiple ethnicities is cons- constituting me, you know, I find that I have had to develop a kind of an agility or a kind of ability to adapt mm. to. The different conditions, and very often those differences are not communicated in direct or explicit ways. Mm. You you will pick up in certain instances. So, for example, if I'm in Trinidad, I might go to a place where people know my family, and then I'm accepted immediately in a particular way. Mm. But if I go to another social setting, then I won't get that same reception because people don't know where I'm from, or you know, mm. they don't my don't know my background. So. It's, so, it's it's complicated. It's not just to do with the color of your skin. Yeah. It's not actually even to do with how you choose to identify. Mm. It's often to do with what can often be some quite complex social conditions mm. um, and also, you know, personal conditions, how somebody feels about race, you know, mm. about how they feel about how other people identify about race. Mm. Um, when, when you were explaining some of your experiences, um, you spoke a lot about um, discrimination in terms of uh, racial slurs, etc. Would yeah. there be, um, can you think of like some really positive experiences as a mixed race person? I know sometimes they are quite heavily because it's not yeah. really focused on. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 feel, you know, I feel really happy that I've had the experience that I'm having in my life. Um, I feel really happy about the um, opportunities that I've had, mm. um, but in a way, I think my identity and the level of comfort I have operating in different ethnic groups because of what I've grown up doing, in a way, has given me access to a variety of different settings and a sensitivity about entering settings. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, when I when I find myself, let's say, you know, I visited China a few years ago and, and moving amongst people in Shenzhen. I definitely feel that my experience and my agility in having to move um, with some sensitivity uh, in relation to different ethnicities and in relation to my own identity, I do feel that one can have a sort of heightened sensitivity to cultural sensitivity and and issues of identity. Mm. Um, I think it's also given me a really interesting insight into the work I do. I realize how significant race, for example, and other types of um, dimensions of racism mm. and colorism have an impact on the spatial environment, on the architectural, on the urban environment. So it's given me insight into my my own work, and I also really love meeting other people who yeah. have multiple ethnicities. You know, I, I like that. You know, I, I I I was really happy when I heard of your project. Mm. Um, because it's sort of, it's not such a kind of ready, easy conversation to have. No, with somebody. no, yeah. you can't sort of meet somebody and say, "How do you feel about being mixed race?" <laughs> it's, it's not a kind of ready question. Yeah, but I like it when I meet people who've had a similar experience myself, yeah. and I think all of those, 
all of those I would describe as being positive experiences. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, would you say you feel more comfortable with one culture, maybe the Trinidadian culture or mm. the other? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a telling question. Yeah. Uh, as I said, you know, I do feel very sensitive to uh, um, how I'm perceived in different settings. Mm. You know, I've found myself in settings with black people where I've not felt accepted by them, even mm. though, you know, I'm, my father's black and I'm, a significant part of my life has been within a black culture. Uh, there are often times when I've been in a setting with black people where I've not felt accepted there. Yeah. Uh, and similarly, I've been in black settings where I've felt fully acknowledged and accepted. Mm. Um, there's a complexity um, in black culture in the United States, which is called passing. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it refers to somebody being able to pass as a white because yeah. they're so light, they're light skinned. It's quite it's quite a complex uh, phenomenon. Yeah, but I think for if you're a light skinned black person, um, you're often seen as somebody who's passing as a kind of category, as a classification. But I always feel uncomfortable with that because it suggests like you're avoiding something. Yeah, that somehow you're escaping or avoiding the burden of blackness as a kind of way out yeah and it's a sort of treachery you know that yeah. it, was, it comes from it's, it's a really complex and ugly history the derivation of that mm. and similarly in white settings i've often felt marginalized where people yeah. i think have recognized or identified my difference mm. don't really know how to manage it and so i have felt excluded but in very subtle ways in the ways yeah. it's quite hard to describe it's it's more of a feeling Mm. Uh, that I've had when I'm in those groups um, and often in those groups um, you know in white groups I've also experienced again subtly expressed racist views yeah. that I think are expressed because people don't feel I identify with my blackness or yeah they feel comfortable to say it yeah. so it's complicated you know how um, when, to say which side do I sort of fall on mm. um, I'm not sure uh, I would say that I fall on uh, what I would say is that with black people, um, when I'm around black people, when I'm around my community in Trinidad, um, I don't feel that, um, I feel more comfortable there, let's mm. just say that. You know, I feel, I feel that I feel more home at home there because the, when I'm around white people, there's a, there's a complication around many white people's view of racism. Yeah. Many white people may actually have racist um, tendencies, and, and by that I don't mean that they want to attack or abuse black no, people, yeah, yeah. people who are not white, but in subtle ways, they they may have attributes, they may have qualities, they may have behaviours that are really quite racist, mm. um, and I might not know how to describe them, um, but it makes it does sometimes lead to a kind of discomfort, and I'm, I'm constantly thinking this through, I don't have a kind of resolved yeah, position yeah. on it, you know, but it's just, it's just an awareness of that, but I think that in... Um, within black, black communities there isn't that ambiguity yeah <laughs> you know, there's a sort of yeah. there's, there's a sort of clarity to to an understanding and not just black communities let's say let's say non-white communities there's a sort of commonality um yeah. about things so i would say that i kind of i think i tend to feel in terms of in terms of my ethnicity i think more comfortable in settings where there are more people like me yeah um and that can range in scale in terms of mm. people's color or their their cultural background but um yeah i think that would be a way of 
answering that question. Uh, mm. I don't, I don't have a sort of crystal clarity on it, but I'm, yeah, I no. hope that's a satisfactory response. Of course, it is really. I mean, of course, I think in in this general discussion, there isn't. It's quite hard to find crystal clear answers to yeah. a lot of these questions. Um, I did just ask to add to that. Yeah. If I could just add something to that, mm. um, I think again in. When I'm around just white, only white people, as I said, I'm, I'm aware of the dominance of white culture. Yeah. And, and I'm aware of very often how damaging and divisive that, that can be. It's not, it's not that it's directed at me or that it's explicitly articulated, but I'm, I'm, I become aware of it mm. when I'm around white people and, and how it manifests itself in these sort of very subtle ways. Mm. And um, I think I just definitely have the feeling that white people do have a lot of work to do. Yeah. Address racism. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a way that perhaps that many white people don't realise. So when I'm amongst exclusively white people, I become hypersensitive to that. Yeah. Mm. Um, what I wanted to ask, and I think I asked this in my previous interview. I don't think it's out yeah. yet. But um, would you say that there is such a thing as a mixed race culture, like a culture mm. that is created by us, by mixed race people? Mm. So, you know, I've, I've read a lot about this, um, Zach, and mm. um, I, I, I would say no. I don't mm. even think it's a kind of singular, you know, I think this idea of sort of classification in itself is problematic. Mm. Um, there are a lot of um, theorists, cultural theorists, that have spoken around the idea of creolism or creolity as describing right. mixed culture. Um, but I think that there is, for example, a solidarity, political, social solidarity that exists amongst people who would identify as black. Mm. And similarly, amongst people who identify as white, I think there's a kind of clarification of identity. You know, most European people would, would say, I am white. Yeah. Most African people would say, I am black. Whereas I don't have the clarity of that identification in my own self. Yeah. It's not that I'm confused <laughs> or anxious about it, mm. but I can't say, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't particularly like the term mixed race, for example. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think any of the terms that I hear that describe me, describe me. So mm. I sort of choose um, not to adopt them. If it comes to it, I'll say I'm black. Yeah. Because at the end of it, I would say that politically and in many other ways, it's important to kind of state a claim. Yeah, but I of also course. recognize that and acknowledge that a lot of people might not see me or understand me as being black. Mm. But if I had to kind of put a label on myself, I would choose that label. Mm. Um, but I think that mixed race as a kind of an identity is, is a problematic concept. As yeah. I think racial descriptions are problematic. So. I don't mm. think there's a singular, unique culture of mixed raceness. Uh, it's an interesting idea, and I think there needs to be a lot of discussions, such as the one that you are hosting here, around mm. what ethnicity means and what multiple ethnicity means in society. Mm. But if you look at the world, most people are you know, of mixed race. Yeah. You know? There are very few yeah. pure racial, pure people in the world. So That's the idea, true. That there should be a kind of definition of something that actually includes most people it's a kind of anachronism mm. that's a very very good take <laughs> um i would like to ask how important i know we've spoken about your skin color but if we yeah. were to ignore that temporarily how important are your yeah. other physical features to how you identify or how other people yeah. identify you yeah, I think it's important, you know, as I said, I, I don't feel white, I don't mm. feel like a white person, 
but I realize in a lot of places I might be seen as that or mm. you know readily identified as that and I also don't um, I also realize that when I present myself I've nobody or very few people would see me as black yeah but it's but but blackness is a significant part of me mm. you know, my father my ancestors my mm. it's not half of me or anything it's not yeah. a proportion of me yeah you know the way that I feel ethnically uh, mm. is nothing to do really with what I look like it's what I feel and it's not in direct proportion to my genetic formation you know mm. I don't you know I, I, you know, if I calculated precisely the amount of blackness in me or the amount of whiteness, I wouldn't be able to kind of say, well, that's how that's how I feel. Yeah. You know, and similarly, um, my appearance is important. I realize it's important, but it doesn't it doesn't reflect who I am. It doesn't reflect my essential being. I can't be defined. At least mm. I don't want to be defined by how I appear, although I understand how I appear contributes to how I'm perceived. Yeah. And it's another sort of anomaly. So I think importance, uh, appearance is importance, not as an identifier, but as a sort of signifier of social values. Mm. So it's not so much what what do I look like, it's how does society, how do the people in the different contexts in which I might appear, how do they see me? Yeah, yeah. It's a sort of it's a sort of reflection, and it's quite a com complexity. And I think it takes a kind of an agility uh, to negotiate the different landscapes. And fields in which that takes mm. place for me. So it's important to me how I'm identified, mm. um, but I don't see it as a need for me to specify how I'm identified. Mm. But I, what it does is, is it tends just to reveal to me the context that I'm in and what the context I'm in looks like. Mm. Um, I mean, this this has been an amazing interview. Thank you. I think I've learnt. <laughs> more here than any of the others. I don't mean to bash the others, but I do feel as I've learned a lot here. Um, I have one final question for you, if you don't mind. Um, do you have any advice for kids like me, mixed race, um, who are growing up in this day and age, um, who are feeling challenged by even today's society because they have this obsession to put you in one category or another when sometimes you just don't feel that way? No, yeah, I think that's a good question, Zach. You know, and, and first of all, um, advice for you. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you on doing this. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. To your podcast. And I thought you really articulated the way that you felt really mm. so eloquently and openly. And, and, I, and, I, and I realize it's quite often difficult to yeah. talk about mm. identity issues and to do it publicly in the way that you've done and to broadcast it, I think is really admirable because I think mm. it's so important to talk about these things. Mm. And particularly in a contested place like South Africa, I mean, anywhere in the world, I think it's problematic or challenging, but mm. I think to do it here, I think it really takes a lot of courage yeah. and intelligence to talk about these things and mm. to name them, you know, I think it's, I think it's really phenomenal. So I would say, keep doing that. I mean, keep exploring <laughs> that. And, and I would encourage you to, 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 to look for people who've written about this or people who've spoken yeah. about this. Mm. And there are lots of people around who've done it. I mentioned, uh, Yaba Blay, mm. you know, she's got a lovely book called One Drop that I mentioned, and there's another book by the author whose name I can't remember that I'll, I'll send to you. Mm. And he talks about Thanks. his experience. Mm. You know, and I know that um, your mother is friendly with Veronica, yes, uh, a mutual friend, and you know, her her life's dedicated to addressing these issues. It is, uh, yeah. She's got she's got such profound and valuable knowledge 
an experience about this. I would, you know, engage her, learn from her, learn from the people around you and read and try and absorb mm. as much as you can. You know, and, and I, I work in academia, mm. you know, at the moment. I spent most of my life as a practicing architect. But, you know, academia is, is built about research. Yeah. Um, and my friend David Scott, um, who's a professor of anthropology at Columbia, oh, you know, okay. he says, well, research is really about asking questions, mm. you know, which is what you're doing. <laughs> um, but he says, but the purpose of the research isn't necessarily to find the answers, but to find the next questions. Ah, and yeah. uh, I, think that, I think that's an important lesson. I don't think... I don't think there are any ready or simple answers no. to the questions you're asking me or you ask other people. Um, everybody's got their own experience, and, and I'm hoping that out of this experience, you might find another layer of inquiry yeah. and another layer that that help you um, clarify your own understanding. And I think it's really important that um, people don't see their identity as a problem to their existence. Yeah, you know, racism is the problem. Yeah, uh, racial race racist attitudes and racialized attitudes and we do need to ask these questions if we want things to change so mm. i would just say you know i would i would love to see what you do with this i'd love to see how you continue your, your exploration of this theme whether mm. you do it academically or just through your life you know and i think it's a, a wonderful a wonderful initiative so mm. my advice would be keep doing what you're doing thank you so much um, thank you, Mark, for doing this. Really, it's been so insightful. This is one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> um, Good. It's been awesome to have you on. Um, thank you so much to the listeners for sticking around until the end. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have. Uh, please follow the podcast on Spotify, leave a rating and share it with your friends. See you around.